Well, it's getting warm out there. Is it warming up? It, uh, I got it here uh, earlier. It's still nice. When I got here, it's probably getting warmed out. Hey, uh, we are really glad you're here today, and especially if you're brand new, always want to welcome you. We're just excited every week. Uh, God's bringing new people. We had a Next Step deserter house last night. I see one of the guys out there right now. Uh, we uh, had about uh, you know, 20, 25, 23 people or whatever, brand new to the church. Most have been here a short amount of time. It's just exciting what God's doing. And so every week at the, at the start, I always want to like, give you kind of an update on, on where we're at in the series and all. But before we jump in and, and do that, uh, I want to in, inside your program is a message note sheet. Uh, so you'll definitely want to take that out. It's a green and white sheet. And then if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just thankful for what you're doing here at our church and the way you're drawing us closer to you, the way you're bringing new people to Christ, uh, the way you're teaching us about our, our purpose in the world, our calling as Christ's followers, transforming us, shaping us to be like your son. Uh, we, we, we come today, Lord, with uh, this great expectation to your word. We're so thankful for this gospel of Mark and what it's, the difference it's making in our life as we study the life and teaching of Jesus. And so we pray that today you would unpack that for us, apply it to our life, speak to us personally by name, and release the power of your spirit in new ways as we learn how to follow. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Well, today we are uh, continuing this series that we've been in from the very start of this year. So if you're brand new, this is a series called Jesus the King, and it's a series about the life and teaching of Jesus, uh, as told through the eyes of one of the early leaders of the movement of Jesus, a man by the name of Mark. Mark was a close personal friend of the apostle Peter, and so what we have in the gospel of Mark is really the memoirs of the apostle Peter, about 30, 35 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Of course, they've been telling these stories as account for 35 years, but, but now Peter has either just died or he's about to die, and so Mark wants to write this down so we have the record of this eyewitness testimony. And so, so far in this series, we've seen that Jesus has gone into the northern part of the nation. It's an area called the Galilee. He's been sharing his message of the kingdom of God that's been long promised by the prophets of Israel for over a thousand years. This time when God is going to break into human history and establish his kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness, of joy, of peace, of prosperity, that kingdom that is, is about to happen, it's, the kingdom is near. And then Jesus is not only making this bold claim, but he's also backing it up because wherever he goes, he's bringing the power of the kingdom uh, into uh, the present. And so he's healing the sick, he's opening the eyes of the blind, he's healing the lame, he's casting demons out of people that are uh, oppressed demonically, he's raising the dead. And so what you're seeing is sort of a, a foretaste uh, of the coming kingdom, what life will be like when the kingdom comes in power. You're getting a foretaste of that right now in time and space. And so last couple of weeks, we watched as Jesus has taken his ministry to a new level. He's recruited these 12 men called apostles. They've been with him for a while. And now he's sending them out two by two throughout the region of Galilee to the towns and villages to do the same thing he's been doing. Uh, share the message. The kingdom is, is near. Uh, to heal the sick, to free people from demonic oppression. So as they've gone out, they've had a very successful trip. Uh, people are being healed. They're being freed from uh, demons. Uh, people are excited about Jesus. Some are rejecting Jesus. Some want to see him. And so people are flooding in to see Jesus. And so now the, the 12, these six teams of two have, have kind of come back to Jesus. They're sharing all the amazing things that God's done. And of course, because of their ministry, all these different towns and villages, they're sending delegations. People are coming, uh, going on vacation together. Let's go see this Jesus. And so, so now life is getting really busy. In fact, it's so busy 
that the apostles, disciples, Jesus, are having a hard time even getting a meal together. And so Jesus feels like his men need a break. He needs a break. They've all been working hard. And so he's, uh, he says, hey, let's take off. Let's uh, head to the far side of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. It's just a few miles away. Let's go out to a wilderness area where there are no people. Let's get some R&R, just catch up, refresh, right? So that's the scene. And so what we're going to see today, though, is they're going to try to sneak out of town. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this. <laughs> uh, have you ever tried to get out of town and get all set and everything's then someone's watching the dog, and someone's watching the house, and, and then something goes wrong, right? What, dishwasher breaks, the bathtub overflows, you know, whatever. Uh, and so uh, something happens. Well, that's what happens. We're going to learn today that even when you're Jesus, uh, your plan, things don't always go as planned. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's go to that section on your note sheet called The Feeding, and uh, turn with me to chapter 6 of Mark. We're going to pick it up at verse 30. If you've got your tablets, your apps, whatever you're following along with, one of our guest Bibles, it's... I don't know what page it is, but hope you find it. It's uh, Mark chapter 6 and verse uh, 30. And so let's just jump in and, and see what, what happens. So the apostles, uh, they gather around Jesus. Uh, they're coming back from this trip. And they uh, report to him all that they had done and taught, just great stories. And then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He says to them, hey, why don't you come with me? Let's get away by ourselves to a quiet place. We'll get some rest. And so the plan is, let's kind of sneak out of town, keep it on the down low. Uh, hopefully no one sees us. Uh, and we will be able to get away from these crowds because we just need some time for R&R. And so the bad thing is, uh, people spot them. They begin tweeting. Uh, pretty soon, crowds are coming. And so you can't escape. So 32, so they, they, uh, they went away by themselves and a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving, because they're trying to get away uh, on the down low, but they, they saw them leaving, they recognized them, and they run on foot from all the towns, and they get there ahead of them. And so, so the word's out, hey, I saw Jesus, he's in a boat, are you serious? We've traveled all the way from this town or that time to see him, and it's like, we've got we to see him, which way did he go? He went that way, it looked like he was going that way, and so, so people, and the word is out in the street, and they're rushing. So the question is, so how is Jesus going to respond? I mean, he, he's trying to get away from the crowds. He's trying to get his way away from the, from the people. Uh, they're tired. They're exhausted. He's been running hard. They're running hard. And so, so Jesus, now they're pulling up to the shore, and, there, and there's thousands of people there. We're, we're learning, we'll learn later that there are somewhere uh, in excess of 5,000 people, that we're going to learn that there's 5,000 men, and in the Greek it's very clear they're men, not, not crowds. We will learn from Matthew's gospel that that doesn't include women and children. And so uh, there's going to be 5,000, you know, 7,000, I, I don't know, like how many are going to be there? It's going to be upwards of 5,000. You can just you can picture this, right? This, you know, dad says, I'm going to go see this guy named Jesus from Nazareth. I heard he's doing miracles and his 12-year-old son, well, dad, I want to go. No, you're too young. You know, it might be scary. No, I want to go, dad. And so pretty soon, like younger brother wants to go, mom wants to go. And so we don't really know how many people, but it's upwards, you know, it's five seven, ten, we don't know, right? But it's a huge crowd. So Jesus is showing up, trying to get away on vacation, trying to go away from the crowds, and he's pulling up, and here are these thousands of people. And so the question is, how does Jesus respond? You know, does he get angry? Is he frustrated? Do he tell the guys, hey, let's just keep going? Uh, you know, what, what happens? But uh, sure enough, he doesn't do that. So in verse uh, 34, when Jesus lands and he sees this large crowd, he has compassion on them. And I want you to circle that, because uh, that'll be important later. He has compassion on them. And then comes this very famous phrase that we're going to talk about later, because they were like what? Sheep without a? 
shepherd. Okay, I want you to underline that phrase. Very important phrase. We're coming back later. A uh, long history of this phrase. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so his heart goes out. And so he begins teaching them many things. And so we're told in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel that not only does he teach, but he's going to do healings all day. And so, so he's, he's tired. His men are tired. They're exhausted. They get there. Thousands of people. He lays aside his plans, uh, goes to work, uh, puts on his hard hat. He begins teaching. And he begins doing his teaching, healing, hot sun all day. Now it gets to the end of the day. And of course, his men are probably a little frustrated, right? I mean, they wanted to get away on vacation. This is not going as planned. They've been out there all day. So they're going to come to him at the end of the day and say, it's time to send these people home. I mean, it's getting late. They've traveled a long way. They're out of food. It's getting dark. We need to send them away, which sounds like a good idea, right? That sounds like a very reasonable idea. They're probably a little frustrated that they've had to have these people break into their vacation anyway. But uh, anyway, so verse uh, 35, by this time it's late in the day, he's there all day, his disciples come to him and say, look, it's a very remote place, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, they say, it's very late, and so why don't we send the people away, they're kind of giving Jesus some coaching here, Uh, let's send the people away so they can go into the surrounding countryside villages, buy something for themselves to eat. I know you're a pastor, you're probably not aware of the obvious, but the sun's going down. And so uh, let's uh, get rid of these people, send them in, Burger King, McDonald's, something. They need to get in before anything closes, like in Simi at 10 o'clock at night. So, um, so frustrating. Anyway, do you realize, like when you go to a McDonald's to get a ice cream sundae, at 10.30 at night and see me on your motorcycle, that it's not going to work because you, on a, on a, you can't eat on a motorcycle in a drive-thru, right? So you're going to have to go home and get your car and go back. Not that that's happened recently, but... <laughs> all right, so, uh, but the cool thing was when I got there, like, this is so awesome, I come to in the car and I order two ice cream sundaes because, you know, they're not that big, right? And so... <laughs> and I get up to the window... And the guy hands me a bag. And I'm thinking, this is really weird because, because um, I didn't order bags. I ordered, like, Sundays, right? And, and, uh, and they're like, it's a warm bag. And I'm thinking, they got the wrong order. It's the first time I've ever gone through this drive-thru. It's one of those new drive-thrus. You have two kinds of two that come together. I'm thinking, how do they keep it all straight? They, they obviously messed it up. He hands me the bag. And he says, that's because you're my pastor. These are for free. Isn't that awesome? So, yeah. <laughs> Three cherry pies, so shout out to Tim. Uh, I'll see you. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Tim, coming Friday night. See you then. Uh, all right, so uh, just a little perk, a little perk of the pastorate. Uh, <laughs> free, free cherry pies, McDonald's. There you go. Um, all right, uh, Friday's my free day, by the way. I get to eat whatever I want on Friday. All right. Now that we're seriously off track here, um, <laughs> And so anyway, they, they come up with this idea, right? So they say, send the, six, send the people away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages, buy themselves something to eat. So it seems like a good idea. And Jesus does one of his things, you know, he kind of uh, surprises them like, like often he does. He says, no, I got a better idea. Why don't you give them something to eat? Now, if you've ever been to Sunday school, you need to forget everything you've learned. Because at this point, we put away the flannel graph, right? I want you to remember, how many people are there? Five, six, seven thousand, end of the day. 
And Jesus says, now I got a better idea. Why don't you feed them? <laughs> we're in the middle of nowhere. It's not like we're in the south and these 12 guys all have a pickup truck, the gun rack. It's, you know, like there's no Sam's Club. There's no Costco. Right? Even if you could feed that many people, like how much is this going to cost? Like two-thirds of your salary or something? These guys don't have any money. Remember, they're sent out with no money, <laughs> no credit cards. So they're like, it's, I mean, they're, like if in the Greek, it's like, are you serious? No, just kidding. Uh, but, but I love Mark because he's so candid. And you, you, you sense the tension. You sense the tension in this. He says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, are you serious? That would take eight months of a man's wages. That, that, like, how are we supposed to do this? You know, B of A closed at eight. I don't know. You know are, are we to go and spend that much on bread and then come back, you know, and give it to eat? Like, what are you thinking? Now, have you ever had a boss that's, that's just like really comes up with lame ideas, right? And then, and, then, and then what's worse is not only they have a lame idea, but their way to carry out the lame idea is even more lame. <laughs> Obviously, yes, you have. So this next point then, they said, uh, is Jesus says, he says, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's, uh, why don't you feed them? In fact, verse 38, uh, why don't you, uh, how many loaves do you have? Why don't you uh, go and see? <laughs> can, can you see this? We're going through the crowd. Anyone got any loaves? Loaves? Looking for loaves? Anyone got loaves? Any, any food? And John's gospel tells us they come across one little kid who still has his Happy Meal from lunch. Right? <laughs> of course, Happy Meals in those days came with barley loaves. So they're like little, they're not like our Weber loaves. They're like little, little like roll, like a, like a barley roll, hard roll, so the food of the poor. And he's got, he's got five of these rolls left from lunch. I don't know if his stomach is upset or what, but he's just... He wasn't hungry, and he's got a couple fish, and, and we don't think salmon, like Costco, nice big fish. I mean, they're, these are like, more like anchovies, little fish. And so they do this, this scouting of the crowd, and they come back. They've got, this is what they got. Can, can you, are you with me how, how ridiculous this feels? Are you like this? We're going to feed them all. Okay, now we're going to go ask for food. We've gotten through the crowd. We come back. We've got five loaves. Right? This, and Jesus is like... Hey, that's good. That's good. You know? In fact, in John's gospel, you know, it tells us that the, the, the little boy, that when they, when they came back with the food, they're like, well, we found these uh, five loaves and two fishes, but really like, so what good is that? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's, that's good. That's, I just need something to work with. Just, just bring what you have. And so um, verse 39, so Jesus uh, directs them. Uh, they, well, says when, they, when they found out, they came back for five. They got five loaves, two fish. And so Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, and you got to be wondering if you're them, like, what is the plan? And uh, so they sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties, which is very cool, because now you're going to be able to serve them easier. There's going to be rows, but on top of that, you're going to be able to do a count, an accurate count, right? So, so taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up into heaven, and he gives thanks, and he breaks the loaves. And so now Jesus begins operating like a, a Jewish father before a meal, like the, a, a Jewish host of a banquet. He's going to go before God and thank him. We don't know what Jesus prayed. It's very likely, though, there's, there's certain prayers that we know from the first century Judaism that were very common, like meal prayers. And so there in your note sheet, I actually put one uh, for you can get a feel for this, what, what this might have been like. We don't know what it was like this, but it gives you a feel for first century Judaism, uh, where it says, praise be to you, 
O Lord our God, King of the world, who makes bread to come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you've created. And so, he, so Jesus prays, he thanks his Father for providing, and now he begins to break the loaves and the fishes. And so he says, then he, he gave them to his disciples. Uh, he gave thanks, he broke them, then he gave to his disciples, except for the people, and he also divided the two fish. And so it, uh, Mark doesn't really lay it out. None of the Gospels lay it out when the miracle started or how the miracle happened. You know, in the Old Testament, we have miracles of multiplication. You think it was Elisha who, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the oil, the jar of oil that didn't run out for that, that the widow. And you think of different ones, but we don't know exactly how this happened. And here's how I would picture it uh, based on how the storyline goes later. Uh, it, apparently, the disciples each had a small basket. In the Greek, it's a very small basket. And uh, very likely, I'm guessing, they brought them in the boat. They were part of their, their pack, you know, part of, part of their uh, supplies when they came. Jesus probably said, get the baskets. And then he begins to break the, 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 the elements. Uh, and, and, and he starts filling the baskets. So, so my guess is the, it started there. The miracle started there. Uh, and then when he fills up the 12 baskets, he's each of his guys a basket. Now they have this little basket to go out and feed seven, 8,000 people. And they're still thinking this, you know, that's amazing. I don't know what happened there, but that's still not enough. And, and so they begin passing it out. But as it went down one row and back the next, it comes back to them. There's still stuff in it. It just keeps on going. So they get to the end of feeding everyone. And we're told that everyone was full. That, that everyone ate, but they were full. In the Greek, it's, they're, they're satisfied. They're actually full. So it's not like, not like uh, going and getting samples at Costco or something, you know, where you just keep, like, taking a little bit, little bit, and just cycling around three times. Hey, don't I know you? No, that was my brother. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, it's, uh, that this, they're full. It's not like communion, you know, a little wafer, a little, they just, it's just sample, you know, got a sample of the Jesus food. No, it's like they're all full. And when they get done, they collect, you know, they collect it back. And the, and the 12 disciples are blown away because each of their baskets is full. It's like it started full and ended full. And, and so it's an amazing miracle. And, and so, uh, so let's see what he says. He says, so they, they um, verse 42, so they all ate. They're all satisfied. All the disciples pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten, and that's in the Greek, uh, the men, males, uh, were 5,000. That becomes important later on. So, and so this amazing miracle. And uh, this is the, the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus that is in every gospel. It, this made such an impression that every one of the gospel writers included this miracle. It's just a mind-boggling, mind-blowing, never seen anything like it miracle, right? But, but here's the part we often miss. Um, this is the part they never tell you in Sunday school. Uh, that, 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 you know, when you, when you describe this scene, as we just described it, probably the image of your mind, you know, it's, they sat down on grass, right? John tells us in his account that it's Passover time, so it's the spring, it's so grassy, grassy hillsides or whatever. And so I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, I kind of picture this typically like uh, kind, of, kind of a cool day with Jesus. I mean, he, he comes in on the boat, uh, he gets off, his heart of compassion he, uh, he begins to heal. He teaches them all day. It's getting late in the afternoon. Sun's starting to go down. Jesus does this cool picnic in the park with Jesus now. And, and you're just like sitting on the hillside and it's green. You got music in the background. It's just awesome, very pastoral, serene setting. But what we're going to find out last, next week is that it was anything but that. You, you remember last week, you remember why John the Baptist was arrested? He was arrested for preaching that the kingdom was near. Herod, remember, saw him as his threat, a military threat, because he's out in the wilderness with his huge popularity. He's afraid of a revolt against Rome, which often started in the wilderness. And what we're going to learn next week 
is at the end of the day, these people, it's Passover time, uh, which is like their 4th of July. It's Independence Day. Patriotic fever is running high. They're looking forward to the coming of the great king who's going to set them free from Rome, like they'll be set, once we're set free from Egypt. By the end of the day, these 5,000 men are not like 5,000 pastoral kickback men. They, they're like a militia, right? And so by the end of the day, they are going to be talking with themselves like, we need to take this guy and make him king. We, we need to start a revolution right here and right now. So it's a very, it's a very politically charged, military charged scene. Uh, and we'll talk about it next week because it becomes one of the biggest crises in the life of Jesus, how he's going to respond. Got to get his men out of there before they're infected by this messianic fever. Uh, the last thing is Rome crashing down, legions of Rome, a massacre of Jews. I mean, so uh, Jesus has to act quickly to defuse this. We'll see how he does that uh, next week. But today what I want to focus on is this, uh, this phrase that we looked at in verse 34 about sheep without a shepherd. There in your note sheet, you have a section called The Promise, and uh, we want to talk today about uh, this, this phrase, very famous phrase, sheep without a shepherd, uh, who it tell, what it tells us about Jesus, who Jesus is, why he's come, what it means to follow him. And so let's, let's start by looking back at this verse and just get this imprinted on our minds. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says, when Jesus landed, uh, he saw this large crowd he has compassion on them because they were like, let's say it together, they were like what? They were sheep without a shepherd. Let's say it again, sheep without a shepherd. Now, it almost sounds like a throwaway, right? It almost sounds like Mark's just there and to describe this and just kind of, this kind of image he just picks up out of the back of his mind, sheep without a shepherd. But it turns out this phrase has a long history in Israel. In fact, uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew uses this phrase to describe Jesus in a different scenario, not the feeding of the 5,000, uh, but there on your note sheet, I put it, he talks about another time in Matthew 9, it says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, I want you to catch these two words, they were what? Harassed and helpless because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see that? So it's not, it's a different scenario, and yet Matthew is picking up that same phrase. And so it turns out that in Israel, this phrase has a long history. So let's go back to the Old Testament. The nation of Israel, they're coming out of Egypt, right? God, God has sent Moses to be their deliverer, bring them out of bondage uh, from the superpower Egypt. They're, they're coming out of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, uh, Egypt. And for the next 40 years, Moses is going to lead them in the wilderness, right? And God is going to refer to the nation of Israel as his flock, and he's going to refer to Moses as my shepherd, okay? So Moses is the shepherd that leads God's flock uh, out of bondage in Israel out into the wilderness. You, you follow me, okay? And so, so Israel is the flock. Moses is the shepherd, the leader of the nation. Okay, so now, now let's fast forward. Moses is about ready to die. He recognizes that this nation's going to need a new leader to lead them into the promised land. He can't go with them. And so he prays a prayer. It's there in your note sheet. It's in Numbers chapter 27. And so he says, um, may the Lord, and when we see Lord in all caps, what does that mean? Yahweh, personal name of God uh, in Hebrew, uh, Yahweh, uh, personal name of the God of Israel. And so may Yahweh, this is Moses' prayer, may he appoint a man over this community, over the nation of Israel, to go out and to come in before them. Now, this is shepherding language. When you're a shepherd, you go every day to the sheep pen. 
You call your sheep. Your sheep uh, intuitively know your voice. And so you can have several different flocks in one sheep pen, but sheep know the voice of their shepherds. When the shepherd comes and says, okay, boys, let's go, the sheep go, ah, okay, right? and they follow, and they just separate out. You don't have to, they don't have to worry about whose sheep belong to whom. They, the sheep know the voice. And so then the shepherd will lead them out during the day. His job is to uh, lead them to green pastures. His job is to, to provide them to well-watered areas where they can get water. His job is to lead them where they can graze. And his job is to protect them from, from their harm. And then at the end of the day, he leads them back. So he leads them out. He leads them back. So it's shepherding language, all right? So he says, may the Lord, may Yahweh appoint a man over this community, over Israel, to go out and to come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that Yahweh's people will not be like a what? Sheep without a, a shepherd. And so, so this becomes a, a powerful metaphor and image that the leaders of Israel were called shepherds, right? They're, they're, that God is the ultimate shepherd, but they're his shepherds. They lead, peop- they lead his people out. And so and what I want you to catch is that when sheep don't have a shepherd, it leaves them vulnerable. Because two things we know about sheep. Number one, they're not very bright, Okay. Now, I take this a little bit personally, but, but they're not very bright. And secondly, they don't have, like, defense mechanisms, right? Like, you never see a cartoon with, like, sheep that's a killer sheep. <laughs> Stalking. You know, it's like that didn't happen because sheep, uh, they don't have a defense. So, she- so sheep... Without a shepherd, are you with me? they're defenseless. They're vulnerable. So if you're a sheep and you don't have a shepherd, you're going to end up helpless and, and harassed, right? Yeah, and harassed. And so, so Moses says, hey, uh, I've been leading this flock for the last 40 years. It's not been an easy job. We're going to need someone good to, to pick up here. Uh, God, would you provide a new shepherd? And, of course, God does provide a new shepherd. Who is that new shepherd? Joshua, remember Joshua means Jesus, by the way, same name, but he provides Joshua to lead them into their new life in the promised land. So Moses is the shepherd to lead them out of bondage. Joshua's a shepherd to lead them into their new life in the promised land. Uh, hundreds of years later, uh, that, that nation hasn't gone well. They need, to, they need a king to lead them. So God raises up a king. Who's their king? David. David's their king, right? Saul's first king, but he wasn't so good. Uh, so he raised up the thing, David, and, and, and what is David? What is David referring to? He's referred to as the shepherd of Israel, you see? So there in your note sheet, like if you look at the second verse down from where we were, Psalm 78, David shepherded them, the nation, with catch this, what, with what? Integrity of heart and skillful hands. Uh, D- David was a gifted shepherd. He loved the sheep. He loved the nation. Uh, served them well, led them well, skillful leader. And so, so now Israel had a great shepherd again. And so throughout their history, catch this, there are times when Israel would be, have great shepherds. There are more times than not they have bad shepherds. When they have bad shepherds, they're harassed, they're helpless. Um, we jump ahead in time. Uh, it's the time after David. And uh, now there's been a civil war. And so the north and the south of Israel split, just like our civil war, except they never got back together. And so the king of the north, the king of the south get together, and they have a common enemy, and they're trying to decide, should we go to war against that, that common enemy? 
they call in a prophet. They ask this prophet, hey, can you go pray and see if God will be with us? Well, we win if we go to battle. And prophet says, no need to, no need to pray. God already gave me a vision before I came. And he said, and you do not want to do this. If you go to war, you will be routed. And he says, and, and says let me describe the vision that God gave me. And there on your note sheet, look at the verse right above there, 1 Kings 22, above the, the David verse. He says, in my vision, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like what? Like sheep without a shepherd. Are, are you with me in this? This phrase, sheep without a shepherd, has a long history. And, and so this concept of Israel's leaders being shepherds is a powerful one. In fact, if we jump ahead now, a couple more hundred years, we're in the year 500 B.C., in the 500s. Uh, God raises up a prophet, a man named Ezekiel. The nation of Israel has rejected God. They're in captivity. And, and God is calling out the shepherds of Israel, the, the political and spiritual leaders, the prophets, the, uh, not, the, not the prophets, but well, some of the prophets, the false prophets, the priests, the kings. And, and this is what God says. He says, that the, you, the shepherds of Israel have not cared for my flock. And he says in Ezekiel 34, there you know, she, the word of Yahweh came to me, to Ezekiel, and God said, son of man, this is what God would always call Ezekiel, in other words, a human being, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These would be the, the political, spiritual leaders. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Yahweh says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You shepherds, you eat the curds. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bound up the injured. That's what shepherds should do. You've not brought back strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no what? No shepherds. There were sheep without a shepherd. And, and when they were scattered, then they became vulnerable, food for all the wild animals. And my sheep, they wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched for them or look for them. You see, and so there's sheep without a shepherd. And so, so God begins to prophesy. God begins to predict the future. And in that same passage in Ezekiel, he says, one day I'm going to send the ultimate shepherd to my people. So, so Moses was a shepherd that led them out of slavery in Egypt. Joshua was a shepherd that led them in the promised land. David was a shepherd that led them into the kingdom, God's kingdom. But he said, that one day he's going to send an ultimate shepherd who's the greater Moses that will lead us out of a greater bondage. He's the greater Joshua that will lead us into a whole new future. He's the greater uh, David who will bring the kingdom of God. And so in Ezekiel 34, same passage later on, jump down to the next verse, here's the, here's the prophecy. I will place over them one shepherd my servant David. In other words, he'd come from the line of David, and he will tend them, and he will be their shepherd. You see? And so this prophecy is that one day the great shepherd would come to the nation of Israel, the one who would truly care for the sheep and, and look out for the sheep. And so when we see Jesus today on the boat coming, and Mark says he sees the crowds, he lays aside his own agenda, he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because they are sheep without a shepherd. We need to read that through the eyes of the story of Israel. That what we are witnessing today is the coming 
of the ultimate shepherd of God to the human race, right? our true shepherd. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called the fulfillment. And so this is the point I want you to write down. This is the, the lesson then uh, today is that Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He is the shepherd we've been waiting for. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one the whole story is about, the coming of this ultimate shepherd who would rescue us. And so Jesus then begins to pick up on this shepherd language. Like, like some of you will remember this. Last fall, we were in a series called The Assignment. And remember we were talking about uh, how confusing Jesus was to the religious leaders of his day. Because remember, their theory was if you want to get close to God, you need to, st- you need to stay far away from people who are, are not close to God, right? And so they were confused because Jesus was always hanging out with tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, sinners, people that didn't keep the law. They couldn't figure out, why are you doing this? And so Jesus, in Luke 15, he says, let me explain. And he tells a short story about a shepherd who has 99 sheep and loses one, has 100, loses one, one wanders off, and what does he do? He leaves the 99, and he goes after the one. And when he gets the one, do you remember what he does? He brings that, that sheep back, carrying him back, and he gets his friends together. He says, we gotta throw a party because this sheep that was lost has been found. And so, so Jesus begins to use shepherd language to talk about his ministry. He, he's the shepherd. And then he gets even more clear when you get to John chapter 10. The apostle John strings together several shepherd statements of Jesus. And what Jesus says is that the leaders who have come before me, the, the leaders of his day, because remember when, when Jesus comes up on the ship that day, on the boat that day, and, and he's talking about sheep without a shepherd, this was the nation of Israel. They were sheep without a shepherd. We, we've studied the gospel of Mark. We've seen their leaders, haven't we? We've seen their religious leaders. We've seen the political leaders, Herod. They're, they're not looking out for the sheep. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus says, all who've come before me, they're more like thieves. They're just trying to rip off the sheep. And in that context, this is what he says, very famous verse there in your note sheet, John 10, 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, to rip off the sheep. He says, but I have come that the sheep might have what? Life. And he says, life to the what? To the full. So he says, he's using this imagery you know, I think the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's picking up this imagery that I am the good shepherd that have come to truly care for my sheep. I'm, I'm the shepherd of Israel. And so then he goes on, he says, I am the good shepherd. Remember, remember what God said to Moses when Moses at the burning bush, who should I say send me? He said, what's your name? He said, I am. And throughout the gospel of John, Jesus makes these I am statements. So he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one that's the greater Moses. I'm the greater Joshua. I'm the greater David. I'm the, the, I'm the, the, the son of David, Ezekiel said, would come be the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Just like David. Do you remember back in the Old Testament when David uh, was about to, to fight Goliath and King Saul's like, you can't do that. You're just a kid. And he's like, listen, like I, I've been a shepherd. When the lion came, when the bear came, I took him out. I, I killed him. I, I protect my sheep. So Jesus, in, in, as the son of David, he says, I'm like that. I'm the good shepherd. I'll lay down my life for the sheep. I love the sheep. I care about the sheep. And of course, he's predicting his own death. 
Later on, that same passage, he, talk, he picks up the same in a different setting, picks up the shepherd analogy. And he says in verse uh, 27, he says, my sheep what? Listen to my voice. Can we say it together? My sheep what? They listen. And Jesus says, my sheep intuitively. Remember how the sheep hear the voice of their, their shepherd? They, they know who to follow. He says, my sheep intuitively sense I am their shepherd. And, and they follow me. They listen to my voice. They become part of my flock. And I will give them what? Eternal life, which remember in the Gospel of John, it's not just length of life, it is quality of life. It's the life of God. It's life to the full. He says that they, they hear me, they recognize who I am, they know I'm their shepherd, they come under my leadership, they begin to follow me, I lead them to life, life to the full in this life, life that lasts forever in the next life. Uh, and that's why I've come. He says they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And so, so what we see today in this story, in this account of the 5,000, we see the coming of the great shepherd. We see the fulfillment of the prophecy. The great shepherd has come. And what we see is we see the heart of the shepherd. You see, throughout the gospel of Mark, we've seen the heart of the shepherd, haven't we? We've seen this heart. We saw it back in chapter one. Remember when Jesus, uh, the, the leper comes to him, runs up to him and says, Jesus' heart was full of compassion. Do you remember that? The, the man's the diseased skin. Jesus reaches out, doesn't need to do this, but this man hasn't been touched for years. He reaches out and touches him, right, and heals him. The heart of a shepherd. Uh, you see in chapter two, the man, the young man being led down through the ceiling, the hole in the ceiling, and he's got to be terrified, right? What's Jesus going to do? And Jesus' first words, my son, your sins are forgiven. He speaks compassion in this man's life. You get to chapter two later on, and, uh, and, and Jesus goes after this moral reprobate, reject Levi, the tax collector, and he says, come and be part of my inner circle. And he invites him in, and he goes to his house for dinner. You get later on, and we see Jesus in chapter five with the demoniac, this man that's out of his mind, crazy, cutting himself. And by the time Jesus gets done with him, he's sitting clothed in his right mind. The shepherd has come. He's healed this man. We get to chapter seven. We see Jesus going to heal a little girl. And, when he, when he, and on the way, this, uh, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years touches him, is healed. She's scared to death now as he calls her out and remembers his words to her, my daughter, my daughter, right? He, he puts her heart. We see the heart of the shepherd shepherding her heart. He continues on. He heals that 12-year-old girl. And you remember what he says, Talitha kum, honey, wake up. You've seen the heart of the shepherd on every page of this story, this compassion of the shepherd for his people. But we see it again today. Because here's Jesus uh, on vacation, exhausted, working long hours. His men come back. They're trying to get away for just a few days of R&R. Life is so crazy, they can't even get time to get a meal together. And yet when he sees the crowds, he doesn't turn the boat in the different direction. He doesn't get angry. He's not frustrated. He puts aside his plans in the heart of a shepherd. He gets out of the boat and he begins teaching. His heart is moved towards these people because they are what? They are sheep without a shepherd and his heart breaks for them. He is coming as their shepherd and he's coming to restore them and heal them. And so he begins to speak into their lives. And what we're seeing today is not a throwaway, throwaway phrase, sheep without a shepherd. What we're seeing today is the arrival, the coming of the great shepherd of the human race. See, this is the one we've been waiting for. 
And so the question is, the question is, it leads to a question, it's there on your note sheet. The question is, uh, are you trusting your shepherd? Who is Jesus to you? Do you have a shepherd? If you do have a shepherd, are you trusting this shepherd? And before you jump in and just so quickly answer that, I, I want to break this down. I want to spend some time on this. Uh, in a room like this, there are three kinds of people, right? Uh, there, there are people who have a shepherd and are trusting that shepherd. There are people who have a shepherd but aren't trusting the shepherd. And then there are people that don't have a shepherd. Three kinds of people. And so, so as we walk through, I want, I want you to kind of do some self-evaluation and see which boat you're in, which kind of person you are. Let's talk about this first person, the person that, that have a shepherd and trusting. So this person, this is the person that you, you've come to Jesus. At some point in your life, someone shared with you the message of Jesus. And God did a supernatural work in your heart, and you recognized Jesus for who he was. You, you heard the voice of your shepherd. And you left your past behind, you laid down your arms, you truly turned from your old life, you came under his leadership, you received this gift of total amnesty for all crimes against the king. You understand that your shepherd laid down his life for you, his life for yours. So you receive this gift of forgiveness, you receive the gift of his Holy Spirit to lead you, and now you are following your shepherd and you're experiencing what shepherds do. Shepherds lead and guide, protect and provide. That's what they do. Shepherds lead and guide, protect and provide. And you are experiencing the leadership of the shepherd in your life, right here and right now. You're hearing his voice, you're experiencing his transformation, he's changing you, he's directing you, you're growing, you're being transformed. It's not like life is perfect, I'm not saying that, but, but with each passing year, with each passing month, each passing season, you're growing closer to your shepherd, and you're experiencing increasingly life to the full, and that's your story. I, uh, I was thinking about this yesterday, I was out just spending some time with the Lord, and um, I felt the put on my heart to go to, go to Isaiah 40. I wasn't really sure why, but I, I started getting looked at Isaiah 40, and, and uh, while he's there, it kind of dawned on me, oh, I bet this is why we're going there. And uh, I want you to turn there. It's Isaiah 40, and we're going to look at verse 11. You know, Isaiah 40 is a very famous passage, and uh, for those of you who've been here the whole series, uh, you may remember, this is how the Gospel of Mark starts. The Gospel of Mark starts with Isaiah 40, it's a story that, that one day that Yahweh would return to his nation. Isaiah 40 is a passage of a prophecy where the nation of Israel is in Babylon. They're far from God. Their lives are ruined because of the rebellion. And God promises that one day he's going to return to his nation. Yahweh will return to his nation. He will rescue them. He'll bring them back. He'll restore them. The kingdom of God will come. And, and this is uh, how the story of Jesus starts because when John the Baptist comes, a voice calling in the wilderness, it's a quote from Isaiah 40. And so if you were here, then we talked about that, how the story of Jesus is not a new story, it's the ongoing story of Israel and this promise that one day God would return to the nation and bring the kingdom. And so when you get to chapter 40 and you look at verse 11, look what it says. This is uh, Isaiah writing about Yahweh and it says, he, Yahweh, tends his flock like a what? Shepherd. 
That when, when Yahweh comes back to the nation, he says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. So it's, it's a portrait that Yahweh will gently shepherd his nation again. Uh, the lambs that can't keep up with the rest, he will carry them in his arms. The mothers that have little lambs, he will gently lead them. He won't drive them. It's a picture of Yahweh coming back and shepherding his, his nation. Of course, we have in Psalm 23, this very famous psalm, right? The Lord is my, what? Shepherd. I shall not want. I will not lack. And so God is the shepherd of Israel. And, and he will come and he will shepherd his people. And, and we learn in that Psalm 23, uh, a couple years ago, I, I taught a message on Psalm 23 in our series on Psalm, and it really had a deep impact on me. And, and we, we talked in there, I'm sure probably most of you won't remember, but uh, we talked about the four things that shepherds do from that Psalm, that shepherds lead and guide, shepherds protect and provide. Remember that? They lead and guide, protect and provide. And so David says, when, when the Lord is my shepherd, because of that, I, I will not be in want. I will not lack any good thing. If God's your shepherd, you're in good shape. If God is your shepherd, he goes on, he says, it doesn't mean you won't go through hard times because he says you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but God's going to be with you. His rod will be there to protect you from your enemies. His staff will guide you. He'll lead you to green pastures. He'll lead you to still waters. And surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. When God is your shepherd, you're in good shape. And I remember teaching on that that weekend. And I think it was really from that point on, this became a major prayer in my life. And I tell you something that when I got to pray, one of the most common prayers, I might journal out and put my initials in the middle of the page, put that big arc like we have here, arc over my, my name, and to pray over my life. One of the things I pray just all the time is, God, would you shepherd me? I, I need a shepherd. Would you shepherd me? And there's times I forget I have a shepherd. And when I forget, I start worrying about things. I start fretting about things. There's times I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Right? And God's got to take me back and remind me, if the Lord is your shepherd, you're in good shape. You see? And so one of my prayers is, God, I need you to shepherd me. And I'm not talking one part of my life. I'm talking my whole life. God, I need you to shepherd me in my marriage. I need you to shepherd me with my kids. I need you to shepherd me with my grandkids. I need to shepherd me in our personal finances. I need you to shepherd in my schedule. I need you to shepherd me in my spiritual life. I, like, I don't know which way to go. I, I, don't, I don't even know the areas I need to grow. Like the most important things I need to, to grow in my life, I probably don't even know those things yet. I'm so blind to them, right? Like, like, like my vision for my life is so limited. Like I need a shepherd who's smarter. Who knows the path, right? Like, I, I don't know how to refresh my own soul. I, I, need, I need a shepherd who knows how to lead me by green pastures and, and still waters, right? Like, there's things I need protection from. I don't even know I need protection from them, right? H how do you know, how do you protect yourself? You don't even realize the things you need protection from half the time. You see? And so, God, would you shepherd me? And I just, like, press into him regularly, when I'm praying, God, I, I need you to shepherd me. I need you to love me well. I need you to walk beside me. Like, I don't know what to do in this. I need you to be my shepherd. 
Are you with me? Really? And then when, if you're in that first category, you're walking well with Jesus. Not perfectly, but you're walking well. You're experiencing his leading. You're experiencing his voice in your life. You're experiencing his transforming power. You're increasingly experiencing the life he called you to live. Here, here's the word for you today. I want, I want this to sink in, that you have a shepherd. That you have the ultimate shepherd. That is a follower of Jesus the shepherd that we've been waiting for has come. He is your shepherd. And if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. Because he doesn't fall asleep on the job. <laughs> so it's not like he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Mike. I didn't see that one coming. Gosh, you know. Like, wow. I'm just, oh, it's so bad. That wolf that came, ah, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, Mike. It's, oh, gosh, sorry. I should have told you. I just... Man, I was so much, I was worrying about Bosnia over here. I just missed it, you know. Like, if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. If the Lord is your shepherd, worry is unnecessary. If the Lord is your shepherd, you will be provided for. If the Lord is your shepherd, he will restore your soul. If the Lord, he will pray. And so as followers of Jesus, if you're in that first category, you need to press into this reality and you need to ask Jesus to reveal himself to you in new ways that he is your shepherd. And what that means to have a shepherd, to have the creator of the cosmos, your personal shepherd. Right? There's a second group though. The second group of those are, are those of us here that at some point in our life, whether for real or just went through the motions, we, we, we asked Jesus to be our shepherd. There was a point in time where we heard about Jesus and we asked him, whether it was sincere or not sincere, whether it took or not took, I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be a variety in a room like this. But, but the reality is at some point in your life, you're not living as if you have a shepherd. So technically you have a shepherd or, or at least you think you have a shepherd, or, but you're not really being shepherded. Like, you're not, you're not experiencing his leadership. You're not experiencing his power. Uh, you, you're not to be led and guided, to be protected. It's not happening in your life because here's what happened. At some point in the journey, you thought you knew better. And at some point in the journey, you thought you could find your way to greener pastures better on your own. So it may have been 20 years ago, it may have been two years ago, it may have been two months ago, it may have been two days ago. It may be an obvious thing, it may be less obvious, but the reality is you're not really living and experiencing the presence of your shepherd. You're not hearing his voice, you're not experiencing his power, you're not moving into the life he has for you. The reality is the longer you're on your own, you're becoming increasingly harassed and helpless and empty. You're not, life is not full. You're not experiencing, there is a thinness of soul that's happening to you. And I don't care if life is going good on the outside or bad on the inside. On the inside, there is a leanness to your soul. There's an emptiness in your heart. You are not experiencing fullness of life and it's not increasing, it's going backwards. And the reason is because you have been going it on your own. The question is, how does Jesus feel about people like you? And I'll tell you exactly how he feels. He has tremendous compassion 
that he sees you as a sheep that has wandered from the sheepfold and he will leave the 99 to come after you and he is coming today to bring you home and if you say yes and you come with him, he will put you on his shoulders and rejoice and when he gets home, he's gonna throw a party for all his friends because this is who he is. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've gone, how long you've been away, how resistant you've been, how many times you've disobeyed. If you want a shepherd, it's why he's come. Third kind of person. Honestly, before today, you didn't know you, you, there was such a thing as a shepherd. That this is all new to you. Maybe it's your first time here at Rocky Peak. Maybe it's your fifth time. Maybe you've come for three years but you've never really understood who Jesus is and why he's come. That he came to be your shepherd, to give you life, both this life and the next. And this is the reason he came, to lay down his life for you, to make a way for you to become part of his sheep. And, to, and today, as I've been talking, you've been hearing his voice. As I've been talking, you're feeling right now like this message is just for you. As I've been talking, there's a hunger in your heart for a shepherd like this. And maybe you're afraid that, that you're not good enough. Maybe you're afraid that you have to get your act together first. Maybe you're afraid that you've gone too far or done too many things. But the message of Jesus today is no. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, the way he describes this feeding of the 5,000, you know, Mark describes it as Jesus comes up, sees the crowds, heart of compassion, sheep without a shepherd. Luke uses different words to describe the same emotion. And there in your note sheet, there's a section, at the very last verse in Luke 9, where Luke describes how Jesus felt when he came and saw the sheep and, and saw the people. And it says he, he what, what are those first three words? He welcomed them. Men and women, are, are there three more beautiful words in Scripture? To be welcomed by Jesus. He sees the sheep. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. They're helpless. And what does he do? He puts aside his agenda, and he welcomes them. And this is what you need to understand. If you want to become part of Jesus' flock, if you want a shepherd, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, that when you come, this is what he does, he welcomes. In fact, look what it says. He welcomed them, and he spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. He said, welcome. Let me teach you about my kingdom, how to be part of my kingdom. And then it says, and then he healed those who needed to be healed. And if you're here today, and you don't have a shepherd. It's his invitation. But he's, it's why he's come. It's why he's, and if you're hearing his voice today, then it's his invitation to come. And so let's pray together. And let's seek him together. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. So I want to talk to all three groups here. That first group, that you're a follower of Jesus. You love Jesus. You're growing in him. You're learning how to follow his voice. It's not perfect, but, but you're growing. He's changing you. He's using you. Your life is being transformed. I just want to challenge you. 
that during this time of worship, that you would just delve deeply into this shepherd and, and meditate and reflect and let this truth seep into you, that if the Lord is your shepherd, you will not want. That he's with you, he loves you, you've seen the heart of compassion, and today is his invitation to you to go deeper in relationship with him as shepherd. Just, just let his love bathe over you, wash over you, feel his compassion for you. I want you to trust him like you've never trusted him before. Whatever worry you brought in today, whatever concern, I want you to release it to him. I want you to go deep in the shepherd and find that place of peace that comes when you're under the care of your shepherd. For those of us who are here today, that maybe you're, you once had a shepherd, you once followed Jesus, you once prayed a prayer, but the reality is that you're, you don't really, you're not living life. Maybe you've strayed, you're you're not looking to him. Maybe you're a businessman. You're not really trusting him with your business. You're not bringing your business decisions. You're a mom or dad. You're not bringing your family to him. You're, you're just kind of living as if he doesn't exist. You're living as if you don't have a shepherd. And today, if, if God's placed a hunger in your heart to come home and let Jesus be your shepherd, I just want to encourage you to just to offer that. Let him come with him. Let him bring you home. Think of all you're missing out on, this leading, this guiding, this protecting is providing. Just come on home. Step back into the fold of Jesus. Get, be healed. Find this life that you were, he's come to give you. And then if you're here today and you don't have a shepherd, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've perhaps understood the message that somehow he died for you, but you've never had a point in time where you bowed the knee before Jesus and you asked him to come and be your shepherd. You asked him to forgive you for your rebellion. You asked him to give you the gift of this new life. You receive this gift of eternal life that he paid for on the cross, both now and the next life. You're ready to follow him. You want to hear his voice. You want to be led. Then, then that happens. All that needs to happen is for you to sincerely call out to Jesus and ask him to come and be your shepherd. There's no magic words. He sees your heart. But right now I'm going to pray a simple prayer and if it expresses a desire of your heart, you can just pray along with me in your mind, your heart, and ask Jesus to come and be your shepherd, and he will. So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you just pray with me, dear Jesus, I ask you to be my shepherd. Come into my life. Forgive me for all the wrong I've done. Give me a new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to hear your voice and follow. I ask you for the gift of eternal life, both in this life and the next life. And I turn from my sin. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just pray that prayer, I want to welcome you into the flock of God. And uh, I'd love to share that decision with you. And so I'd ask you to do me a favor. As we go into worship, we'll be receiving our offering and Inside of your program is a little connect card. If you'd fill it out the front and on the back, just say, Mike, I asked Jesus to be my shepherd or I asked him into my life. That will trigger something on our end and I'll send you a letter this week. Just some first steps in your following of Jesus as shepherd. Talk about baptism. We'll connect with you and help you take those first steps as a new follower of Jesus. And uh, that'll be helpful to you in your new journey. And so, Lord, we come as your people. We thank you that you are the one that we've been waiting for. We thank you that you're the ultimate shepherd of the human race. 
that we no longer have to be sheep without a shepherd, that you've come to shepherd us. And we just welcome you during this time as we bring you our, our tithes, our offerings. We pray you use them to create a place where people can come to know their shepherd and where we can thrive as your flock. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And God, we just worship you today for that. We thank you for this word that we've studied today, that your love endures. That when the Lord, Yahweh, is our shepherd, that we have everything we need. That we walk through the valleys of the shadow, that you will be with us. Your rod will protect us. Your staff will guide us. Even in the presence of our enemies, you will prepare a banquet. You will lead us by quiet waters. You will lead us to green pastures. You will restore our soul. And then surely, absolutely, take it to the bank that your love, your mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. You are the great shepherd that's come to give us life, life to the full, life eternal, life in this life, life the next life. And you pay the ultimate price because of your great compassion and love for us. And God, when we forget that as your sheep, when we stray away, we think that we know better. God, we pray that you would come after us as our shepherd. You would bring us home. You would lead us home for your love endures. And Lord, so we thank you as a church. We could gather this weekend. We could gather around you. We could gather around your word. We could gather under the leadership of your spirit. We could gather under your leadership as our true shepherd. That you can remind it of the things that are most important, of these great truths that are so easy to forget. That the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you have a great weekend. This next week you come back. Uh, I started the story today, but you know, the end of this story, the these 5,000 men decide that it would be a great time to revolt against Rome. We've got our new Moses. He just fed us in the wilderness, just like Moses who led us out of Egypt. And, and, and we need to take him. We need to make him king. The, the prophecies are about to come true. It's, it's a major crisis. It's a crisis in the life of the nation. It's a crisis in the life of Jesus. We're going to see next week how he deals with that crisis, how he goes up to pray that night with his father, and then he does something in the middle of the night that we're still talking about 2,000 years later. Uh, even non-followers of Jesus are still talking, still make bumper stickers about it. He does something impossible. And we're going to learn next week about the God of the impossible. And I hope you can be with us. It's going to be a great time together as we continue to study in Mark. But until then, I want to lead you with something from the New Testament. You know, as Jesus explains, he's the great shepherd. Of course, this becomes a theme of his apostles. They learn this. They speak of him in the New Testament as the great shepherd. And so at the end of the book of Hebrews, the writer ends his book like this, and I want to leave you with this today. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead 
our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. May he equip you this week with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in you what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. God bless you. See you next weekend.